What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. This is Lee with the Redhead Official Podcast. And uh, this is the, uh, oh my goodness, I hope I didn't food poison myself edition (laughs) of the podcast. I'm actually laughing lightly about it now, but um, I may have consumed something accidentally that is going to give me major problems here in a few. Hopefully not. Hopefully uh, everything's cool, but if it's it, you know, if it isn't, I'm going to have some issues here. But anyway, uh, yeah, just, uh, <laughs> boy, thanks, man. You just never know, right? Accidents, unintended things. Uh, so, hey, guys, my over 40 men, are you doubting? Are you wondering? Are you questioning whether or not you have what it takes to get back into shape? Don't doubt, just do. (laughs) And uh, I can help you. You know, I've actually written a five proven method ebook called Fitness Psychology uh, that that will give you methods to help you overcome self-doubt because self-doubt is what keeps so many of us from achieving our true potential, not just with fitness, but with life. And um, when you go to the over four, to the uh, to the over forty men's guide to fitness dot com, that's the over forty men's guide to fitness dot com. Not only will you be able to download instantly my ebook, but you'll also get access to the Funk Roberts Over 40 Alpha Fitness Program. Now, why is that huge? Well, it's huge because uh, our fitness needs as over 40 men are different than um, what they are when we are younger, and they're different than for women, obviously. And most popular fitness uh, uh, programs out there are designed around either younger men or women and those do us no good so you're going to get fitness coaching uh with meaning awesome friendly workouts and by friendly i mean easy on the knees easy on your hips okay you're going to get meal plan nutrition and live coaching from the funkster himself. So that's at the over 40 men's guide to to fitness.com. And uh, there's a special deal. You will not believe how low the price is, but I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to just go there and check it out for yourself. That's the over that's the over 40 men's guide to fitness.com. Okay. Let's get right right to it. Um I'm going to talk today about Stephen A. Smith and his take on Steve Nash and hiring and all that. And I had actually done a video about this recently, but there are just so many layers to this thing that the more that I think about it, the more I'm like, oh, I should have mentioned this. So we're back. (laughs) Um, So before I... I talk about what he's saying specifically. I want to give a little background. Okay. 
I remember what the NBA was like back in 1977, 78, 79, okay? I remember how it was covered. I remember what the narratives were, okay? I remember um, what the salaries were, okay? Uh, I remember NBA championship games being shown on tape delay, okay? There are guys that should have better legacies than they do now, but they played in an era when the NBA was thought of as a dope-infested league uh, where the players were largely not uh, appreciated because they were black. Now, this is a time you could actually say it's actually racial. There was racial animus. There was resentment from the public that the NBA, which had been largely white in the 60s, was now mostly black. And the brand of the game was just different. Okay, And it was no doubt about it, racial. Culture had something to do with it also. But uh, for as much as I'm prone to not look at uh, racial reasons, I will I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was racial animus by the largely white purchasing public uh, in the 70s. And then the um, just the whole dope situation, uh, and 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 you know it's a funny thing too. It's like people will go pay money to go see a movie star or a singer or some somebody that they know has a habit, but for some reason <laughs> with athletes. Uh, we're just held to a different standard for some some reason. I'm not sure why. But anyway, I remember all that. I remember John Stockton uh, in 1984 coming into the league uh, as a first-round draft pick. I forgot what uh, when he was picked in the first round. It seems like it was a late first round, like maybe... 18th or 19th or something like that. But anyway, maybe even later than that. But um, he, well, I feel weird. I feel weird right there. Like I said that I, that I uh, ate something that was going to make me feel weird, <laughs> I think. Maybe I'm all right. All right. Well, let's continue. Boy, that was weird. Um yeah, so I remember him. I remember him like 1984 and uh, signing for like $50,000. Yeah. He had a $50,000 a year con contract. Now, granted, $50,000 back then was worth a lot more than it is now. I mean, obviously. But he did not want to buy a, a TV because he was so concerned about money. He was so concerned about whether or not he would actually um, remain on the um, 
uh, roster. And so he didn't buy a, a TV until the Super Bowl came. You know, finally, I mean, he was like, hey, you know what? Really want to watch the Super Bowl. I guess I don't really want to go to a sports bar to, to, to watch it. So he actually said, okay, fine. I'll fork over the several hundred dollars, right? Now, let that sink in. This is a guy who was an NBA basketball player, right? That people run, run suicides and lift uh, weights and shoot thousands of shots and do all this types of stuff for this promise of, quote, riches. But in 1984, depending upon where, where you were, uh, you know, uh, selected, you weren't basking in the glow of major league riches. No. You were doing okay, but you were not rich by any means. Okay. So I remember all that. Uh, I remember just all of that. Uh, and so I say all that to say that when Stephen A. Smith talks about Nash and the hiring process and all this, okay, that I think he's forgetting the, the context of how far the NBA has, has come, okay? Through the stewardship of David Stern, Michael Jordan, and some other guys, okay, and carefully crafted marketing, the NBA became a juggernaut, right? Um, and the salaries went through the roof, okay? And... That doesn't happen by accident, okay? Like, building a sports organization that rises to the heights that the NBA, the NFL, MLB, NHL, or whatever, that's not constitutional. That, that's, that happens by marketing. That happens by putting in the work to market properly, to identify who your target market is and to bring value to that market and to create stories that are compelling, that get people interested, that get people to care about the characters, okay? So that the casual fan, and by the way, I'm not a fan of those fans, but I'm not in the business of sports, okay? If I was, then I would be a fan because I would understand that, okay, uh, I can only grow so big by my hardcore fan, i.e. hockey, right? I'm going to need to have casual fans, right? 
lots of them. And then I'm going to try to need to get as many of these fans all over the planet. Okay. And to do that meant to reshape narratives, meant to bring people into the league that you could craft compelling stories around via sports writers, via interviews, via the games, okay? Uh, people like Magic Johnson, people like Larry Bird, okay? Like, the, the, you know, this, this, this just doesn't happen on its own, okay? There's a reason why there are guys that were better players, you could make an argument, than Magic Johnson, you know, that never achieved the notoriety because they were not marketed properly, because the stories around these guys were not compelling enough to your everyday fan, you know? Not to the hardcore fan, right? But to the casual fan, right? And I know I'm taking a long way here, but uh, Nash got this, this job because his story is the most compelling story at the moment. And the Brooklyn Nets are trying to compete in a marketplace with the New York Knicks. That's what it is. And when Stephen A. Smith says, well, what's the, there's no centralized hiring process. So what, yeah, that's right. There isn't one. You know why? Because it's free enterprise. This isn't some sort of, um, uh, I'm trying to think of what would be a good comparison, and I can't at the moment, but it's free enterprise. These are people that own these sports franchises that are the cream of the crop in business. They have earned, in most cases, well, I think in every case at this point, billions of dollars in one lifetime. I say that because uh, I think for the most part, you know, at this point, you don't have a lot of generational ownership. You know, I, th uh, I haven't researched this, but just off the top of my head, I think most of the owners in the major sports leagues come from first generation money, right? Um, Jerry Jones bought the Cowboys back in 1989 for $89 million, which seems like unbelievable now, right? Yeah, but he leveraged, in fact, he didn't even leverage that. Like, I think he had to... Um, read about this he I think he put his own money in the deal like so okay I think that was the the deal 
I think maybe he bought it for, I think maybe he bought them for more than that. But the portion that he had to put into the deal, he had to be liquid for $89 million. And for him, you know, at that time, that was basically everything for him. Okay. You know, it was like he had 89.1 million. <laughs> so he sunk 89 into it. Right. Right. This is like, uh, and I'm stunned that people who benefit from capitalism fail to see that they're being hypocrites. Um, Stephen A. Smith got to where he is not because he was given that he earned it. He earned it every step of the way. He earned it having to eat ramen noodles and living in a dirt bag apartment. Okay. Um, he earned it having to go. I forgot where his first job was. Like he, ah, man, it was some, somewhere out of the way. I, I forgot now, but anywhere he, uh, the guy earned it. And like, you would think that he would recognize meritocracy and, you know, just this idea that, Hey, like people are not treated evenly. They're not treated equally. Um, you're talking Steve Nash, two-time MVP, 20 years in the league, just about. Freak of a player with a, like, okay. I see he didn't mention the fact that Michael Jordan became an executive with the Washington Wizards with no previous executive um, experience. None. And he got a 20% stake in the team. Why? Because he's Michael Jordan. That's why. And that's the point. Right? Don't, don't look for things to be equal. The world isn't built that way. Okay, there are those who would argue that that's like some Marxist theory. The world is not equal. When you bring the kind of profile that Michael Jordan brings to everything, you've earned that. You've earned that because you were up at 6 a.m. No, I'm, I'm sorry, 5 a.m. lifting weights at 31 years old or whatever it um, what, no, I, I think he had, think he had retired the first time by that time. But whenever that actually was, these guys are getting up at 5 a.m. lifting weights. Okay, they've they, they they've had a full workout. Him, Ron Harper, uh, Pippen, and I think one other guy. I think Rodman. I think maybe these guys had a full workout by like uh, um, 7 a.m. Okay, I mean, they had worked out harder than most people work at any point in the day. And that was just weights. We haven't even talked about running yet. Drills, shooting, and all that stuff, okay? Like, we, you know, we, this guy was doing four-hour workouts. Okay, four hours. Okay, I mean, like, hey... I love basketball. 
I never worked out four hours. <laughs> never. Never. Four straight hours? What? Right? Like, so, it isn't equal. No, it isn't. Nash was hired because he's Steve Nash and everything that that entails. <clears throat> and by the way, if LeBron James had retired last year and he uh, wanted to coach next year, and he had put the word out there that he was interested in coaching. You know who would be coaching Brooklyn Nets next year? LeBron James. Why? Because his profile is even higher than Nash's profile. And he's just as good of a basketball mind, okay? Right? And probably just as good from everything I've heard. He's just as good... He, if he is phenomenal at communicating what he knows about basketball to everybody. And, and not only is he good at it, but he loves doing it. Okay, he's, he is by, by nature a basketball knowledge sharer, right? So he would be coaching Brooklyn Nets next year if he was ready to do so okay but guys like that come along once in a blue and these kinds of opportunities pretty much never come along i was thinking about this the other day i can't think of a situation whereby there was a plum job that came open that like you know right right at the right time like like i can't even think of a time that that's happened most of these jobs that people consider to be great got to be that way through organizational effort and then they kind of just got there right um san antonio was not considered an awesome job until Tim Duncan got there, <laughs> all right? David Robinson was there, and they were good, very good. And they came close, but they put together pieces gradually, and then all of a sudden, they get this guy who's a difference maker with the guy that they had, all right? You know, who, who at that point, I guess, um, David Robinson was... Uh, pretty much at the end I think that was David Robinson's last season I think it was but the um Lakers have been good since the 60s for the most part you know for the most part right but if we're talking modern times um that job has has been who uh uh they had Phil Phil Jackson, you're not going to have anything to say about that. Um, they hired Frank Vogel, a guy with what? Coaching experience. Uh, they had Mike Dunleavy at some 
some point, I think like either right before or right after Magic, they had Magic Johnson. Okay. Um, uh, they had, uh, oh man, Kobe's first coach. Uh, I can see his face now, white hair. Harris, uh, what was his name? Something, it was Harris, right? Oh, anyway, they had him, but all these guys had, they had coached, okay? Boston Celtics, everybody coached, right? I mean, you know, like um, uh, when the Knicks have been decent, uh, they actually hired Isaiah, but, I, but, uh, but at that point, Isaiah had coached um, Indiana. You know what I mean, so like these jobs, they just don't come up often because it's very seldom that there's a team that has a situation. I mean, like this Nets setup right now is very, very rare. So anyway, I said all of that to say that uh, I, I disagree with the guy vehemently. Because life isn't fair. The world isn't fair. uh, Things are not equal. And by the way, and I touched on this in another video or episode, um, episode, I should say. You know, black people, we, we had an opportunity to have our own sports leagues with our own ownership. And we abdicated (laughs) that opportunity, right? So what are we complaining about? We had a chance, right? We had a chance to do the heavy lifting back in the day to reap the benefits now, right? But we didn't do that. And so now we get what we get. Really, just own it. And by the way, you can take that one step further. How do you get to uh, sports team ownership in the modern era, any era, but sports team ownership, especially in this era, because A, that's where we are now, but B, because it's so expensive, right? The way that we get there is through capital resources, right? It's through capital resources and joint ventures, right? So you tell me what sense it makes if the ultimate goal is to have ownership, at least that's what I'm being told. I mean, that's what I, that's what I would think it is. Now, maybe it isn't, and if it's not, then that's another thing. But if if franchise ownership, okay, in some large measure, other than uh, Magic Johnson, uh, Robert Johnson, I think, who did own uh, Charlotte when they were there, and uh, now Michael owns a team, and uh, I'm trying to think, I might be forgetting one or two others. But if the goal is to have more black ownership, then we need more black people that have money, right? That have major league money, and not just money, but we're talking capital resources. 
we're talking relationships, okay? So not just having capital in terms of actual liquidity, that's certainly part of it, but the relationships to get to get in the building, right? If all of that is what the end game is, then why would we do things to sabotage ourselves like alienating our audience? Like, like taking up causes for people who are criminals, who clearly don't give a damn about themselves, so why should the athlete care? Okay, why would we do that? Like, like why would you cut your income uh, possibly coming up when the NBA TV contract with ESPN, which ESPN, by the way, uh, is having its own financial problems. But but why would you uh, compromise your own financial footing for your next contract, which uh, comes up in 2023, I think it is, okay? Why would you do that if the goal is to make as much money as is possible to use that uh, money, not for iced out rings, <laughs> not for another Bentley, okay, but to actually grow the 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 wealth. And I understand in the case of the NBA, like, hey, look, if we just take basketball and football, there's only sixty two teams out there anyway, right? Okay. And unless a guy's willing to sell, there's really not a lot of opportunities, right? But the idea is, is when those opportunities do come up, are you in a position to capitalize? So I, I just don't, don't understand. It's totally counterproductive. I, I mean, just completely counterproductive. Uh, and, um, you know, like you take a look at something like this, right? Um, the way things were were headed, okay? The 12th man on the bench, right, was looking at having generational money. You think about that. That the 12th guy on the bench was very shortly about to be able to make so much money that he could set himself up in in business if he wanted to in a very major way. And even if not, you know, business in the sense of an actual business, just being able to plunk $800,000 into stock, Amazon stock, or Apple stock, or uh, Facebook stock, or Instagram, you know what I mean? Like just, you're talking so much money that like you really can't mess that up, right? You can only grow it if, if you're, if you just do just the, you know, basics, okay? So, 
why would why would people do things that are so con contrary to their self self interest and 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 um, um, I'm going to answer that <laughs> in a different um, episode because I think that that uh, question really I think that that one deserves its own episode right but um, just understand this right things aren't equal and they shouldn't be equal right it's not to say that there shouldn't be justice and there shouldn't be fairness in order to have meritocracy but what I'm saying to you is that this this uh, notion that these franchise owners are under any obligation to give some sort of racial consideration is lunacy and this notion that we should even expect that okay is lunacy right what we need to do is to create our own ownership right and the way that we do that is to have increased capital resources and to plunk those resources into ownership okay that's what you do and these opportunities do not come along often right but that's where the emphasis needs to to be and then uh, if there is an owner that happens to be black they can, they can hire whoever they want to hire. Why? Because it's free enterprise and they can do what the H they want to do. <laughs> I'm not mad at that. I'm really not. Not at all. Right? Uh, but this whole victimology, putting your hands together, begging the other guy to give us a you know what you know chance and all that uh, hey look i'm so done with that <laughs> so that there's no mistaking people will you know there's there will be no no ambiguity i am so done with that and like i'm saying i rock with sas i rock with max kellerman um but when I think that they're you know, wrong, I need to say it. And so I am. Anyway, um, Stephen A. Smith, I remember him from way, way back. I actually uh, saw him play summer league basketball at City College back in the day. Um, and uh, I probably bumped into him on the basketball circuit out in Queens probably there also briefly but um, um, to my knowledge I haven't seen him since the 80s you know and he's done very well for himself I think he makes like five million a year or something like that and you know and, and that's fantastic obviously so but uh, yeah man uh, it's all about marketing. It's all about who 
who gives you the biggest bang and in this case it's Steve Nash uh, but you know like I said if LeBron was available in that same scenario they would have hired him much in the same way that Michael Jordan got to play executive <laughs> with no previous executive experience because he's Michael Jordan and he got a 20% stake in the team also right so anyway that's the episode you know I went a lot longer than I thought I was going to uh, this was supposed to be about a 10 10 minute episode but you know what uh, I have ownership <laughs> so I can do it I can do what I want to do <laughs> I own this podcast I can go for as long or as short as I want to that's the benefit of ownership and uh, nobody can can tell me who I have to to hire or even if I need to hire anybody and uh, I'm gonna keep it that way also anyway this is Lee with the redhead official podcast we'll see you on the other side later